Welcome to the Expedition Success Podcast, where we hope to elevate your mind through discussion with successful innovators, entrepreneurs, athletes, professionals, and creators on their journey towards success. I am your host, Liam Kaufman. And I am your co-host, Michael Setiawan. In today's episode, we sit with Garrett Cannon, a young investment banker at KPMG who is also training for an Ironman. He takes us on a journey through what he does, the lessons he's learned, as well as his plans for the future. Welcome to the show, Garrett. We're extremely excited to have you on as our first guest. For our listeners who don't know, Garrett is one of my first cousins. Naturally, I've looked up to Garrett all of my life and watched him go from being an immature young kid to the successful individual he is today. So I'm extra pumped to have Garrett on as our first guest. Um, so Garrett, before we get into talking about uh, your current job and what you do now, uh, could you talk about your background, where you grew up, uh, what, what your family was like, and how they influenced your life? Yeah, so I'm from Wilmington, Delaware. Um, my family, I have an older sister, Shay, and younger brother, Chad, who Liam knows well. Um, a lot of good memories growing up together. Um, but growing up, they really influenced my life, I would say... Kind of the values um, were very close. And I would say the first thing that comes to mind in relation to this is kind of instilling kind of the work ethic amongst us and always pushing each other, the three of us growing up, whether it be in school, sports, um, in every aspect, we were always very competitive. So I would say that really formed kind of who I am today. Growing up, my parents both, my dad played football in college, my mom, very successful engineer. And so they were always pushing us as well, especially academically. And so from a young age, we were always working out together, studying together. And that has really carried over in my life, just that kind of competitive drive um, to always be pushing towards that goal. Um, so yeah, growing up, loved, loved the outdoors. I loved to hunt and fish, played football and lacrosse. Um, always had an interest in, I'll start talking about this more, um, down the road, but kind of growing up that influence in finance starting with uh, my dad and then Chad, I would always talk about it as well. That's kind of a convoluted, a lot of points I hit on there um, quickly. But yeah, I'd say my background with my family has the biggest influence on my life, especially with my siblings and how close we are and kind of from that young age, really forward to who I am with kind of my dedication and work ethic started, started with my family. Yeah. So Definitely as a, as a young person, most of your influential moments happen when you're young um, that can really affect the trajectory of your life. So like you mentioned your dad a few times, um, like how has he influenced you or even like any other people, whether it's a friend, family, like even a mentor, like how have they kind of shaped you into the person you are? Yeah, so my dad works in wealth management for RBC. And so from a young age, I was always getting some exposure to hearing him talk about the markets, um, everything going on with that, telling me about individual stocks, mutual funds, just kind of hearing those buzzwords from a young age kind of always piqued my interest. And so growing up, I knew once I got to high school, um, I knew I kind of wanted to do something in the finance field. Um, I took a couple, there was a personal finance class, school economics classes I took that really um, got me interested. And so going to college, I knew that's the path I was going to take. And being at a small school like Washington and Lee, we didn't have a true finance major. It was really either you went business administration, accounting, 
or economics. And I always kind of loved economics and kind of the wide variety of areas you can go with that and the way of thinking it teaches you. And so I ultimately picked that. Um, after my freshman year, I got an internship for just the city of Wilmington, Delaware's finance department. Um, very unglamorous. I just wanted to do something though, um, have some sort of job internship. So I accepted that one. Um, didn't learn too much about the finance field, honestly, in that one. It was more of kind of working on their accounts receivable, cold calling customers who had to pay their bills. Um, but I started to take classes, um, kind of finance related to some accounting ones. So that kind of knew I wanted to get, okay, more into the wealth management or investment banking side. Being on the lacrosse team at Washington and Lee, um, a large amount of guys go investment banking, I would say. And so we would have alumni come back and speak to our team many times who were in the field, always hearing about the older guys on the team going through their interview processes, hearing about their internships. Um, so from there, I knew I really kind of wanted to go that investment banking route. After my sophomore year, however, I did a um, wealth management internship as well for Glenmead Trust Company. Um, that was more on the sort of like portfolio management, individuals, accounts, managing their stocks and bonds, um, determining like their asset allocation, which is really interesting. Um, Glenmead was a great company, got exposure to along with the portfolio management, all areas of the company. They had some like private equity sides they work on. Um, they create their own funds. And so from there, that kind of reinforced why I wanted to be in finance. Um, however, I knew after that I wanted to do the investment banking route compared to wealth management. Um, so after my junior year, I did an internship with, at the time it was M&T Bank and their mergers and acquisitions um, group. And so that is really kind of what shaped where I am today. There we're... Same, so the same group I was with there is now who I'm with at KPMG actually. Um, and I can explain that in more detail if you want to get into that. Um, it's kind of an interesting story, but I'll touch on it um, a little later. But yeah, so I did the internship there. And so I knew I wanted to invest in banking. After that, I really enjoyed that summer. Um, I was in Baltimore. The group was great, made some really good connections, very close knit. I got to do real meaningful work, I um, was involved in everything. Um, and so that's kind of what. Where how I got to where I am today with investment banking. Cool. So, like, what I was going to ask is, was there any like specific moments where you knew that that was kind of your path? But it sounds like it was more just how you grew up, like the people that influenced influenced you, and you always kind of knew that that was your path. Yeah, um, but I would say specifically in that internship, um, kind of realizing how impactful this job is. Um, our group we work on with companies usually um, kind of founder owned. So revenue up to maybe like $300 million. Um, so it's companies who are doing very well, making a lot of money, but still a lot of times at that founder owned stage where this is like, they're just getting really big. Their EBITDA is growing. Um, usually that five to 35, $40 million range of the companies we work on. And so realizing how impactful this is for those companies and um, how big of an impact our job is for them and having these people realize have their dreams come true with a lot of times it's like their first time selling the company and um, it's a huge milestone for them. So getting to help them in such an impactful moment and um, for their company that they've worked so hard on and getting to help them take it to that really that next level. Um, I really enjoyed. So it's kind I of that moment I realized that it's investment banking, but you do have such a big impact on people's lives 
um, with this job was it kind of solidified why I wanted to do it. And being so young, it sounds like you're working with obviously big names, big companies. Um, that could definitely be overwhelming for tons of people, even people that are interested in investment banking. So um, how did working with those people kind of mature you or even what did you learn through that process? Um, you learn that you really every kind of single aspect of the job, especially when it's client facing and they're paying very large fees for our services, um, kind of has to be perfect with everything you do. And you have to be learned very quickly. So I've been all remote, haven't been in, been to the office one time, um, but I'm on video calls with the CFOs of these companies many times a day with private equity funds on calls with them. And so really quickly, you just learn to got to be mature and got to be great with what you're doing and on top of the ball because um, there's so much at stake with these. And everyone's kind of relying on being a small group. Um, a lot of times these deal teams, it's myself, the guy above me who's a VP, and then a managing director. He's one of the heads of our group. Um, and so it's like, I really have a real responsibility with these. And so what I'm doing has a direct impact. So I, really, you got to, it's okay to make mistakes, but um, you got you can only make them once and you got to really be on top of the ball and make sure everything, because um, there's so many other parties counting on me and the work I'm putting out um, that really got to be very detail oriented and um, kind of just great with everything you're doing. Everything needs to be client ready because um, a lot of people are going to see it and it has to be correct. So. Um, I wanted to backtrack a little bit because um, you, I remember you mentioned going to Washington and Lee for college. Um, and that's a more, that's a smaller, more close knit college, about 2000 students. Um, can you touch on the, the relationships that you built there and like how they helped you get to where you are now? Yes. Um, yeah. So I loved my experience at Washington and Lee. Um, going there, I'd never probably had even heard of the school until my junior, senior year at Sally's, um, there was a guy I played football with, went on to play football there, and a close friend I played lacrosse with, played lacrosse there. So that's kind of where I heard about it in the first place. Um, looking for colleges, I once played uh, football or lacrosse. Um, I was pretty indifferent about the size. Um, I kind of didn't really ever think of myself going to such a small school, but the first time I stepped on campus, I knew that's where I wanted to be. Um, and looking back, it was the best decision I ever made. I loved that close-knit. The friends I made there are still like my best friends today. I, they'll be my best friends throughout my whole life. Um, but really that close-knit, it's like we just had our graduation in person back in September, um, like one and a half years late. But it's kind of going back. Everyone's still so close. Being with the whole grade again for the first time, it's like 500 of us in the grade, but you kind of know – of everyone it's like everyone you can have a conversation with which i really like about that and then um being a small school i really the relationships i formed with my professors really helped me and that was kind of one of the big things i learned going through college was how important that is spending the extra time developing a relationship with them going to their office hours because they're such a valuable resource and they um really care about you as a person and make and they want to see you be successful in their classes um retain the material and so that close knit feel that you got with being able to form those relationships at the small school um, is something I'm really, really glad I, I, I did and was able to experience. So when kind of going through college, a lot of kids kind of, they, they either fall on the spectrum where they want to build their resume and really have a strong application or they really try to grind the, 
the networking and build lots of strong relationships so they can kind of get a good job through people they know. Um, so going to Washington and Lee, obviously you built a lot of close relationships, but do you think you put more emphasis on just meeting people, trying to get close with people, or really just trying to set yourself up and kind of have the best resume possible? Which one do you think um, is more important or even both? It's really a combination of both. Um, one of the strongest that WNL, I would say, is known for is our alumni ne- network and being such a um, close-knit school like we were talking about. Um, the alumni network has paid dividends already for me. Any single person I reach out to will always be happy to hop on the, hop on a call with you and um, talk about them and give any advice they can. And so the networking is definitely extremely, extremely important. And that's going to pay off for me more now that I'm kind of in the work world. But building that resume is equally as important to get your foot in the door and um, just kind of getting that first job. You need that strong resume. They want to see you're not just, you can have 4.0, but if you don't have extracurriculars um, and you don't show that you're a person outside of that, you have personality and you have interests, um, that's going to weigh equally as heavily. So it's really the balance of all those aspects, I would say. Because um, and what I realize now being in the work world is when we're looking, I've been in the process of we've uh, just hired a new one in our group, actually. And so I've been involved in that process a little bit with interviewing. And um, what you realize is people are really looking for someone. I mean, with this job, you're spending long hours with the same people every day. And so we're really looking for people that you want to spend time with. And like, so you need to have that, have that strong resume. But equally as important, you need to be someone that people want to spend time with. You're a good person. You're trustworthy. You're interesting. Um, so kind of it all kind of ties together with that. So it sounded like you kind of had a lot on your plate uh, when you were in college. Um, so what habits specifically um, did you pick up on that kind of that helped you be successful in balancing both playing lacrosse, studying, like, like, you know, just having a social life as well as building your resume and making those connections. Yep. I'd say probably the biggest thing I learned for me personally to keep everything in order is having a very detailed planner, um, writing everything I had to do for the day down, um, by the hour, by the minute, sometimes kind of week in advance to be able to see, okay, these nights I'll be able to, I'm going to be busy. Where am I going to get more of my studying in? Um, because yeah, it is a lot with lacrosse, um, the, at times, so in the interview processes and getting ready for that on top of classes, um, there are long days. So really being detail-oriented, writing everything out to stay on top of the ball um, and knowing where to pick your spots. I mean, it involves a lot of sacrifices. You're not going to be able to go out to every party, obviously, with lacrosse, um, practicing most nights. Um, yeah, so it's really kind of keeping that end goal in sight, being very de- detail-oriented, writing things down for me was the biggest um, help was what helped me stay on top. And I mean, yeah, I made mistakes along the way. Um, Mrs. Simon's here, there, like everyone. Um, but it's kind of, yeah, having that kind of touch it back to growing up, having that end goal in sight and why I was doing these things um, to get you through making some of those hard sacrifices. Um, I would say that, that kind of is the biggest point for me. Okay. So before you kind of dive into like what you're doing on a day-to-day basis um, with your job, Um, I'd like to bring it back to when you were playing football in high school. Um, This probably isn't a moment you like talking about that much. Um, 
But I remember it very vividly. I was, I think, sixth or seventh grade um, playing on the hill, hill by Baynard Stadium. Now it's Abyssinio Stadium, so no longer there. Um, but I remember my mom came running over to me, and she was, she was crying. Um, she said Garrett, Garrett got injured or something like that. Um, and I was just totally confused. Um, and, but I, I knew something was up when she was crying and something bad had happened. Um, and obviously you had gotten injured in a very big game there your senior year. Um, and I know it was a tough injury. So if you'd like to, to talk about what that injury was, kind of how it impacted you, like getting through the recovery process and uh, if it had any like long-term effects on your mindset. Yeah, um, without going into too much detail, pretty much what happened, like you're mentioning, um, in the game, got tackled, looked down, and my foot was facing pretty much backwards the wrong way. Um, and I was just kind of like in shock at that moment. And uh, fortunately, I had some great, we had our orthopedic surgeon who worked with our team right there to help our trainer there. And so they took care of me real quickly, um, put me in the ambulance, went to the hospital, got everything realigned that night. And then had to get surgery a couple days later. I still have the plate and 10 screws in my ankle. Um, but that was a pretty pivotal moment in my life, I would say. Um, it kind of, at that moment, like football and lacrosse were my loves. That was like the state semifinal game. And so that was probably the hardest moment of my life, realizing that I wasn't going to be able to play in that state championship that I'd always dreamed of. Um, but then it quickly started realizing I might not have my senior lacrosse season either, which um, was equally as important to me. Um, so that really kind of taught me that going to that, it was like the recovery process. They said it could be three months. It could be like six to eight months. It really just depends how rehab goes, how things start to heal. And so kind of, I just committed that I'm just going to do anything I can. That's in my control, control the controllables um, and just dedicate everything I can do to just, try to get back on the field as quickly as I could. Um, so was just extremely diligent rehabbing every single day, just listening to all the advice of um, the therapists and trainers, just having faith in that process and um, knowing that I'm just going to do everything I can to put myself in a situation that if it works out, then I'll be able to play. And um, fortunately I was back and ready to go for the uh, first game of our lacrosse season. I was in a brace and couldn't move super well, but um I was able to play and by the end of the season. I was pretty much back in the full swing of things um, and ended up having kind of a dream season, I would say. We won the state championship. I was selected as an All-American. Um, all my buddies getting to play that one last season. Chad was starter on the team with me. And so it kind of all came together to kind of have that perfect um, ending to my senior career after what could have been a disaster. So um, that really taught me just you got to have faith in the process and you got to work just really hard with, you don't know if it's going to work out, but um, if I didn't work hard, then I would have had no chance to get back on the field. So just kind of that blind faith that it's going to work out. Um, and I'm just going to do everything I can to set myself up for if it does, then I'll be ready. And so um, that really kind of was a pivotal moment to realize that um, you just got to, you just nothing beats the hard work um, because you don't know what, even without seeing that end in sight, um, just doing everything you can to put yourself in the best situation. Um, and that really translates to career-wise as well, school-wise. Um, sometimes you don't know what that end, end goal, end result is going to look like in hard situations. Um, but 
if you sit still and do nothing, then and just hope for the best, nothing's going to happen. Um, good things just don't come if you sit around. So it's really putting yourself in that best situation that um, if things are going to work out, then you'll be ready. You know, that resilience is definitely key, especially when you're in a tough situation like that. A lot of people can tend to, their mind can stray off um, and you, you lose focus of what the your goals are. Um, I know being in a situation like that, um, you have all your energy and you spend all your time for you, like playing lacrosse, playing football. It's kind of like your everything. Um, and then something like that happens and you have a lot more free time um, and time to really just be by yourself and think. Did you notice um, where that your energy or your focus shifted at all towards anything else? Um, or was it mainly all just on that recovery process and coming back? Yeah, it was all most of the recovery process, but it, is, but it also um, kind of quickly made me realize that sports – weren't the end goal um and that my career might have come to an end that night on the field and uh so kind of helped me pivot more um and so i'll kind of ties into some other things around that time that my senior i like i mentioned i I wanted my goal was to get a scholarship to play football lacrosse somewhere um and so that kind of quickly made me realize that at that point i didn't have any offers and this was like okay probably not gonna get anything now with my foot being backwards and don't know if I'm even going to play again. Um, and so I happened to actually the week before was when I went to Washington and Lee for the very first time and met with the lacrosse coach there. And um, being a division three school, I always, like I said, division one was my goal. And so I was, I loved it, but I was like, ah, like I want, I want division one. Like that was kind of division one or nothing. Um, but kind of that injury made me realize that, there's a lot more besides sports and setting myself up to be at the best academic school I can. So when I'm done playing sports, whatever that may be, that I'm going to be in the best position I can for my career. Uh, that kind of quickly made me realize that Washington Lee was going to be the best option instead of trying to walk on at a um, big school and kind of focus everything on lacrosse that I was going to gain much more, more out of my college experience um, going to a school like Washington Lee where more career focused, but also get the opportunity to play lacrosse as well. Yeah, that's a great outlook. I feel like lots of kids, young kids, can get so caught up in being in D1. They want to play D1 really bad, and then they they lose sight of uh, after college what their actual career is going to be like. So it's interesting to hear you talk about how you restructured uh, kind of your focus and realized that you needed to focus on those academics and kind of let that D1 dream kind of slip away. And I know we'll probably talk about failures down the road in this podcast a little bit, but that was kind of one of those points where in the moment I thought, I failed. I didn't achieve my goal of getting playing at a Division One school. Um, but looking back, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. I wouldn't change anything in my college experience, and um, it set me up so well right now. Um, I'm just so grateful for that. So that's kind of one of those. In the moment, thought I failed, but um, kind of trusting in that process and putting myself in the best situation I could. That it clearly has wasn't a failure. Now that I have some hindsight, right. Okay, so now I kind of want to switch gears and go to more towards your uh, your current job now of being an investment banker. Um, there's many, many young kids who aspire to be in the position that you're in, but a lot of them probably don't really understand what being an investment banker actually entails. Um, and so before this episode, we were talking and you described it as a very huge process that takes many months, sometimes even up to years with a lot of different steps and moving parts. Um, can you take us through these different stages 
and um, what you have to do in order to make a deal successful? Yeah, so um, me specifically, I'm in mergers and acquisitions, sell-side M&A. Um, and so, like I was mentioning, there's a lot of different jobs within the investment banking realm. Um, but to talk about mine, so we, when companies are in a position that they are looking for a big investment from um, another company, the founders um, are ready to hand off their business to someone else, um, they hire us as their sell-side advisor to take them through that process. Um, and that's one thing I really like about my role is I love to kind of get in the weeds and you work really hard for a long time, but being able to see that process through and you're involved every step of the way is a really satisfying um, feeling that I like. So yeah, the start of the job are the heads of our group develop a relationship with the owners of the companies. We focus on, we do a lot of industrials. So we do, I'm involved in some like building product companies. We also do have some real estate um, tax credit companies we do a lot of work on and then some government contracting as well are kind of the three verticals we're kind of focusing mostly on. And so within those, when we are hired, we start the process. We have a lot of meetings with the management teams. We learn everything we can about the company. We build the SIM, which is a 350 page slide deck overview of the company that we're going to send to investors. And we go through the whole process of finding investors, down selecting until we find that one that's the right match for our client and then for the investor which in in, a, in in itself is a long process and then from there once that kind of company that final buyer selected you go through an entire diligence process in which that buyer needs to learn every single thing about the company and we're here to facilitate that um, on behalf of the management team and so all in all yeah it can take Six months it could take. I was recently on one deal that closed that took over a year and a half um, from start to finish, just because there's so many variables along the way that can come up. Things can fall through. Sudden events can happen. Um, right now, with possible tax changes going into effect with the new year under the new administration, um, there's a lot of urgency in the markets. So it's just um, it's a lot. You wear a lot of hats as an investment banker in my role. Um, but it's, it's a really gratifying feeling when you kind of see this whole process through and um, realize your hard work pays off in the end. So working on sell side, these big deals, um, there's so many different elements. Um, and you mentioned so many different things going on, it seems like at once. So how are you able to just keep everything in track and kind of know what you have to do to be successful in this role? Um, yeah, number one, communication amongst our team is key and um because yeah we're on i'm on usually around probably three live deals at once right now i'm on and then also working on some like pitches and smaller things on the side and so yeah there's a lot going on um it's really starts with being very organized um i mean i'm getting you get probably odd times over 100 emails a day on all different things so it's kind of keeping track of every single one any request that comes in I'm big right now. Anything that comes in, I have to do. I write down. And so I just each day I have a whole list of, okay, these are all the things. I kind of from there, I organize it more. Um, but then it's communicating with the guys on my team that are working on the deal with me. And anything that comes in, making sure it's handled, the appropriate person's working on it, um, and everything gets done in a timely manner as well. Because like I was saying, right now, everyone wants to get things done by the year end. And so things need to get done quickly. 
And so it's really being very organized. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just organization is key, I would say. Um, so just- what's it been like being remote? Um, you're probably one of the first, like throughout history, there's never really, this has never really happened. Everyone's going into work. You're, you're young, you want to meet people, but you've been sitting uh, kind of in your room is where I guess, I'm guessing you, you have your stuff set up and you uh, do all that stuff. So what's it been like being remote um, and working this job? Yeah. So it's been interesting. Fortunately, I was, I did the internship with this group after my junior year. So I met probably 75% of the team is the same as it was when I was there. And so I got to meet everyone in person and form that relationship over that summer. And so being remote, um, I at least had that personal connection already with those people. And so it made, it made it a little bit easier. It's definitely, you don't get the same experience sitting next to each other and just kind of bouncing ideas off each other's heads, just being able to ask a quick question. Um, when I need to ask a question, you need to call someone, which is easy, but it's just not the same as being able to just, ask the person right next to you. Um, but we're very collaborative, our group. We're on video calls, like most of the day, I would say. Um, every mo- every Monday, we have a full team check-in. Kind of everyone talks through what they're working on that week, what we have in the deal pipeline, and kind of everyone's assignments for that week. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been interesting, but we've been very success- successful. The, um, I mean, I know my group before I joined full-time, they had one of their most successful years on record. And they were pretty much fully remote um, that whole time. And KPMG, our fiscal year just ended at the end of September. And I know that was a record-setting year um, for most of the investment banking groups there. So um, it's there's challenges that are presented with it. But there's also, I think, some benefits I enjoy with having kind of the long hours. Um, being able to kind of have your personal space as well and kind of step away from my desk in the evening for a little bit, go out, grab some food, and then be able to get back online quickly. Um, there's challenges, but there's also some benefits. Um, so about how many hours uh, per day would you say you're working? Um, usually I'm online around 8, 8.30. And then um, it kind of really depends where things are on an average day. Usually work till maybe 7-ish. Um, grab some dinner, get a workout in, and then if needed, get back online for a few more hours at night. Um, I'll say right now I'm working on average maybe like 70-ish hours a week. It can, but it really fluctuates though where the deal is. I mean, there's nights where you're working a lot later than that and you're pulling some long hours all week, but um, but just it, it just kind of depends where the deal process is. But it, it can range, yeah, 60 hours a week to 80 hours a week. Okay, so that is like almost double of what, the average, um, I guess, person kind of works during the week. Um, and obviously it's very strenuous and time consuming. Do you ever find yourself getting burnt out from your work? Um, and like, what do you do to motivate yourself to kind of keep going if you do get burnt out? Right now, I haven't experienced that burnout quite yet. Um, I'm still in my first year, so I'm still kind of going strong. Um, but I think it's for me, I found it's very important and with this training for this have Ironman is helping is kind of finding, making sure you build in time to get some exercise in, do something um, for a little bit outside of work is really kind of what keeps me going, keeping me from burning out. So it's not every minute of the entire day is focused on the job, which I mean, a lot of days it has to be, and you're going to have those times where you're not going to be able to get your workout in. Um, but kind of 
have a few minutes to cook dinner or um, get a workout really helps me stay balanced. Cool. Um, so for like young adults looking to pursue investment banking, um, what would you say are some good words of advice or tips that you would recommend? The biggest one is networking. Um, leveraging your school's resources, using the Career Center to help. I just helped my brother Chad through this process. He was at Providence and he's um, he just started his junior year there. And so he kind of, from me, he knew he wanted to get investment banking. And so the biggest piece of advice, well, number one is grades. A job like this, um, you need to have a strong resume. You need to have good grades, um, very solid GPA. But then it's really networking um, because everyone within a lot of people have really good grades. So it's how you differentiate yourself. And um, I was fortunate to Swig Washington and Lee, where such a large portion of the students go on to investment banking. Um, it's very much like our career center is very active when, okay, there's sessions about investment banking, then each kind of bank will come to campus and do recruiting there. Um, and so it, and that all kind of revolves around the networking piece. And so for Chad, he was a province, which investment banking, there's target schools they're called where it's okay. We're going to take a certain amount of kids from these schools, like regardless. And so that's kind of the primary way people get investment banking. However, there is the opportunity. So like Chad went through this at a non-target school. It's a little more difficult because you don't have as many kind of connections in place already. That I was fortunate. I mean, Washington Lee, we were a target school for some banks, not all though. Uh, and so it really involves, you need to be relentless with your networking efforts and just, whether it be messaging people on LinkedIn. Um, if you have, for me, I, I sent Chad some of my, my connections, but he had to do it on his own then. I can only do so much. And so it's really kind of showing that interest and um, building a relationship with people, calling them once, following up, scheduling more conversations with them to really show you're interested. And then from there, they'll point you in touch with other people at their firms that kind of help with the recruiting process. So um, networking is the biggest piece of advice. Okay. Um, it can be really tough to, to really break that ice and reach out to someone. Um, so how are you able to kind of develop, make that easy for yourself where it's kind of natural to, to network with people and meet new people? Yeah. I mean, it's still, I'm still working on my networking and getting better at it, but it's really just, um, it's just one of those things I learned, honestly, it kind of, start for, so for me, this process of reaching out, I would say started with sports. And um, when I was in high school, it started with networking with coaches of colleges I was interested in and kind of my parents showing me, I had four shows, had my sister Shay played field hockey at Penn state. And so my parents were familiar with the recruiting process and what it entailed with helping me. And the biggest thing was they're always on me that you need to be sending emails. You need to be like my dad, my dad always says, you'd be constantly dripping on people, um, just reaching out, having an extra touch point. And so that kind of taught me that you just kind of have to have the confidence, to just send those emails. Um, you're not going to know them, but that really translates. So they are in the work world. It's sending that initial LinkedIn message saying, Hey, my name is a brief introduction of yourself. Do you have time to hop on the phone? I would love to hear about your story, hear about what you do. Um, and it's really just having that um, motivation, just literally just to send that email and start that and then pick up the phone and, and um, show your willingness to learn because honestly, people love to talk about themselves. And so it's not hard once you kind of form that initial connection. Um, you'll hop on the phone and they'll just start talking 
for up to an hour about what they do. Um, people like talk about themselves, which is a good thing to know. Yeah. So it's really just having that confidence to, to send that initial email, I'd say. Um, but also you got to know you're going to take on a lot of failure. Um, you might have to send 300 emails to get five calls scheduled. Um, and then within those five calls, you might get no job opportunities coming out of those at all. Um, but then when you get it's to that, like I was asked a lot of times, okay, who else have you reached out to? And so being able to say, I've spoke to all these people when you're asked at an interview, it shows that you really have that willingness. And um, so, yeah, I'll say that confidence to send that first email and knowing that you're going to fail 90% of the time with these networking calls, um, maybe even more than that, but um, just dedication to the process and um, not giving up because one of those is finally going to work out. It's not easy. and It's going to take a lot of work. Um, but knowing that it'll pay off and you got to just keep pushing forward with it. So aside from just, uh, failures, uh, in networking, uh, failures in general are, I would say pretty critical for growth. Um, and I know that, uh, being in the position that you're in, you've probably gone through failure and experienced it many, many, many times. Um, so can you touch more on like, I guess, important struggles or like kind of like critical mistakes and failures that you kind of went through and how you're able to learn from them and move past them. Yeah. So, um, I touched on it earlier. I'd say the first point I looked at as a failure in my life was not getting a division one scholarship. Um, but like I said, that turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me I'd say, at this point in my life. Um, next one I would say was, so, with the internship I did after my junior year with the M&T Bank, I knew going into it, there was two of us interns and being a small group, they only had um, like the whole return. A lot of times if you do an internship with a JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, they have like a lot of return offers to give from that internship program. Um, being a small group, the return offer wasn't guaranteed. Um, and I did not get a return offer um, after that ended. And that was a devastating point for me. I That was a big failure. Um, I thought I was going to have to, uh, I kind of had my job set going into that for when I graduated. So I just kind of hit the ground running my senior year with networking again um, and figure out what I was going to do after I graduated. Not getting that return offer um, was probably the second biggest failure I looked upon on that in my life at that point. Um, I, I worked hard that summer and then, um, but not getting that is kind of devastating. You hear all your friends talking about their return offers. It's kind of being that one not to get one um, was tough to go through and knowing that, okay, there's gonna be a lot more work now my senior year. It's not going to be all easy having a job set. Um, and so that kind of had to, that taught me just kind of that hard work again, that um, you can't just sit there and dwell on your mistakes. Um, you got to just kind of keep pushing forward. What about have you have you experienced any failures? I guess in your first year so far uh, working as an investment banker. Yeah, a lot of failures. Um, whether it be not having things um, documented correctly, not responding correctly to emails, um, kind of putting together some like Excel files, doing things wrong, using wrong formulas um, for accounting measures, not having things. Um, formatted correctly in PowerPoints, um, a lot of failures so far my first year, but, um, 
that's one thing. Our group is very supportive and people know you're going to make mistakes. So really that failure is teaching me that it's better to ask more questions. Um, and it's okay to, everyone's going to tell you it's okay to make a mistake. You're expected to your first year analyst, but it's really being able to make that mistake once and not make that same mistake again and learn and grow from it. Yeah. So for high level, yes, have made a lot of failures. My first couple months as an investment banker, um, but I can see myself now that I've been on the job for 10 months or so. I feel like I'm starting to turn that corner, but I know there's going to be a lot more failures along the way and growing pains, but it's, it's part of what makes a good investment banker is being able to make those mistakes, but learn from them and, uh, and grow from them. Um, so speaking on that attention to detail you just mentioned, I was actually at a meeting two days ago with uh, the investing and trading um, organization here at Purdue um, and they one of our uh, leader in the club mentioned how like important it is to even have the smallest things in these presentations correct for investment banking um, even like a little comma can make it a difference so what did that like strong emphasis on attention to detail teach you um, and how have you kind of adapted to be able to be so critical with your work yeah like you were saying every in these 50 slide decks we're sending every single thing needs to be perfect. Um, and so I've really learned that just things take a long time. You just kind of first before we send these decks out, there's multiple times you have to read word for word throughout the entire thing, uh, to try to catch mistakes. And there's multiple of us doing it. Um, but it's really like you're saying attention to detail and knowing that it's going to take a long time to do things, but, nothing's going to be able to replace kind of that, that long in-depth review of everything you do. Um, but balancing it because things do need to get done quickly. So it's really learning to be, pick your spots and know, okay, this one, I could take a lot of time on read through this to review. Whereas some other things might not be quite as important at that moment. So learn to delegate your work and be able to um, really focus in on the important, important parts of what needs to get done at that moment. Um, but yeah, it's really just being able to, be very critical and take your time and um, review every single thing you're sending out many, many times. So one thing I've noticed in just my journey and trying to like improve myself and just be a better person um, is the importance of reading um, and trying to just gain knowledge, whether that's just self-improvement or on just like business in general. Um, so do you have any like recommendations or things if someone's interested in investment banking or just finance in general that can kind of help them be more successful and be more knowledgeable when they actually enter the field? Yeah. Um, the number one piece of advice and you'll hear from a lot of people is I would say reading the Wall Street Journal every day is a great way to just kind of to start getting exposure to all aspects of the markets, the economy, and learning. The big thing is being able to form an opinion on everything going on. So it's one thing to know, okay, the economy is doing well right now, interest rates are here, but it's being able to be analytical of that and have an opinion and why things are happening as they are and being able to see kind of that whole picture of, okay, these past couple of months, why things are happening as they are, and then having an opinion and being able to take that knowledge to the next level and apply it to your work and be able to, for instance, tell a client, give your analyses as far as that kind of got a little off track there, but take a step back as far as books. Um, one book I read that really interested me, it's a little bit, um, 
not as applicable today, but it's called Liar's Poker. And it's about sales and trading back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and it's a good one for young people getting interested because it's 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 a really like, um, I don't want to say it paints a picture as kind of the field being like a big frat almost and the things that go on. Uh, but it, it kind of shows you what things were like. It's entertaining. But um, it also shows you kind of like the dedication and hard work that was needed. And um, I mean, things in the industry have changed since then um, for the better in some cases. But that one was an entertaining one that kind of got my interest. And then other books I've read that I really liked. Um, there's one my girlfriend gave me. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it really talks about kind of forming good habits and um, kind of it's very not like change your life, but um, talks about things you can do to implement your life, like the small things that lead to big changes to be a very successful person. So that's a really great book. And then um, number two book I read recently, if you're f- familiar with Jocko Willink, um, ex-Navy SEAL, he's, I've been listening to him, his podcast for a long time. He's a very motivational person in my life. And he has a book, um, what's it called? it's called Discipline Equals Freedom. And it's a very, like, I have some quotes from this book on my phone, on my home screen. And I like the way he lays things out very clearly with, he had, for instance, he talks about the uh, binomial system he has or binary decision-making as pretty much like, are you going to get better today or are you going to get worse today? And it's kind of just asking those basic questions because um, within that, it's, um, so he has these 10 things. I can read some of them off. Are you going to be healthy or unhealthy today? Are you going to sacrifice for the long-term today or give things up for short-term gratification? It's really kind of putting things into those basic questions. You kind of start to see like kind of every decision you make day to day. Are you making that decision? It's going to help you long-term or is it just something that's um, going to be fun and easy? And I mean, there's, there's plenty of times where, yeah, you can do have fun things, but it's kind of good to keep in perspective, kind of waking up every day, reading that and, um, kind of form, okay, what am I going to do today that's going to help myself for the long term and make me a better person? Yeah, mindset is definitely one of the most important things. I think just waking up every day, having a good attitude, um, knowing what your goals are, super important. Um, those are all like great So points. Garrett, this past year, you decided to take on an Ironman in December. And I know Liam will be interested in hearing about this as he is scheduled to tackle his first Ironman in July this upcoming summer. And Ironman is no joke. So why did you make the decision to pursue this event? Yes, yeah, so like I mentioned, I'm a very competitive person. Sports kind of my whole life is what I loved. I loved having that kind of goal to work towards. And um, I mean, I love the process of working hard for something for that end goal. And so coming out of college and being done sports, I knew at some point I wanted to get into whether it be running a marathon, an Ironman, just something to kind of push myself towards. And I actually happened to have a couple of my friends, um, two of them are investment bankers as well. They told me over the summer, they said, oh, we're doing this. I'm actually doing a half Ironman, um, the 70.3, so I'm not that crazy yet to do the full one. But um, they told me they're doing this. And I said, okay, well, what better time than right now? Why not jump into it? Working from home has been advantageous because – it's a little bit easier to wake up in the morning, get a workout in, and then be able to get to work. You don't have that kind of commute time, which may, would make it a little more difficult. So I said, okay, there's no better time than now. Like, I'm going to do it. Um, and so I just have loved having that end goal to push myself towards. I mean, I was working out hard 
after graduating without the Iron Man. Um, but really, this has kind of renewed that passion and drive within me to kind of push myself. And for me, this is something I never really envisioned myself being able to do. I had never run more than three miles at one time um, prior to training this just because of playing football and lacrosse, my training was different. And so really, I also want to take on this challenge to, as I'm starting my career, um, kind of show myself what what's possible with this hard work and kind of get into these good habits early. And so it's teaching me to balance it. It involves a lot of early mornings and a lot of late nights of training. Because I mean, obviously work comes first and I can't, if things can get done with work, I can't go train instead of that. Um, so it's learning to uh, kind of be very dedicated. And that's helped me form some good habits, I would say, with waking up early, getting my workouts in then. But also you just got to be flexible with the job. I'm not going to get, there's been multiple weeks that I got to miss a lot of workouts because the job comes first. I had to just take my um, my last series exam. So that was a couple weeks of I couldn't get as many workouts in because studying had to take priority as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been doable. I've been making, it's really exciting to see kind of what's possible when you dedicate yourself to something like this and, and seeing my kind of my body transform and, um, what I'm able to accomplish right now compared to where I was just five weeks ago, um, which is exciting. Um, it's definitely takes a lot of dedication and sacrifice on some weekends. Can't do as much partying, going out with friends, um, while training, but, uh, no, it's been great. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting to see where things will be in eight weeks when I take it on. Yeah, no, I'm super excited to see how it goes, too. Um, you, your background in, like, lacrosse and football, extremely strenuous sports, but it's really nothing like that long distance just grind and the discipline it takes to do that. So not having that, that background in, like, kind of distance events, um, what was that transition like and uh, – have you seen the effects of it kind of shed off into other aspects of your life? Um, and what, what has it kind of taught you? Yeah, it's been hard. Um, like I said, for training for lacrosse, we, I mean, we do have to have really good endurance. Um, but it was always, I mean, for the longest we'd have run, it would be one mile. It would be, we'd had a, uh, our conditioning test would involve a one mile run. So that's pretty much the furthest I would run at one point. Um, and it's, so for me, it really, it's been the mental toughness. And learning that side of things and knowing that um, your body can do so much more than you think it can. And um, so listening to Jocko, there's a guy, David Goggins, who's another Navy SEAL guy. Um, he's extremely motivational, especially with the running. Um, and kind of that's another reason I want to take this on is that building that mental toughness. And so it's a new challenge. It's this endurance I didn't have before. And running for like over an hour straight, for instance, is something I'd never done before. I'd never thought I could do. Um, but it's cool to see what I'm able to accomplish right now in such a short time. I've only been training for what, maybe eight, eight weeks at this point. And what I've accomplished so quickly um, is really, and the mental fortitude I'm building this quickly is um, I'm excited for this to carry over and kind of keep doing these things as it goes on, because it's kind of showing me that, okay, if I apply this much effort, to things even outside the Ironman into work um, and things I'm passionate about, like what you can really accomplish when you uh, dedicate so much time and energy to things. But um, yeah, I'd say that mental toughness has been the biggest challenge and learning to uh, go so long with these workouts. Usually my workouts were lifts or runs that would take less than an hour. So it's like, okay, now got to bike for three hours at a time is something completely new to me. 
being new to to just the field of Ironmans or triathlons in general, um, do you have a coach or are you kind of just learning as you go and uh, kind of making your own workouts? Uh, how are you going about that? I'm doing things completely on my own. Um, I'm interested to see. I don't know how it's going to – we're going to find out on December 12th how it's going to be. But um, just with kind of work and so many things going on, I mean, going back to graduation, there's a lot of things pop up on weekends just kind of – being my age. Um, and so it's been very much, I've, I've read, I've done a lot of reading up on the programs, just so much information online with kind of how programs are structured. Um, so, I mean, I'm definitely like utilizing those resources, but really kind of crafting my own at the beginning of each week, I kind of plan out, okay, I need to get in, um, this many runs, this many swims, this many bikes and kind of trying to be flexible and building in like a couple extra days here or there to know, like, okay, work, it's too much this day that I'll just have to do this workout the next day um, and being flexible with things and then really taking advantage of weekends or when um, I do really the long workouts. For instance, I did like that 40 mile bike ride yesterday. Really got to um, pick at least one day on the weekend to do a long train has been key. Um, and you said that the reason you got into it actually is your, one of your friends mentioned it and said, why not now? Um, and how, how's it been um, kind of training with your friends? Has that had a big impact? Do you think it's helped your training? Um, and just talk about the importance of being able to work with other people towards a certain goal. Oh, yeah, it's been huge. Um, it has made this whole process so much more enjoyable. Um, just kind of keep number one is the accountability and knowing we all have a um, so we have like our group chat of all of us. We all have the Garmin watches. So we all see like each other's things so like that right there. We're all like ultra competitive people. And so alone, if you're okay, if you're like, oh, I'm not feeling kind of lazy, I don't want to work out, but then you go see, okay, these guys have all got these workouts in and kind of say, like, okay, I can't sit here and be the only one to not work out today. So the accountability has been the uh, best part of it. It's made it fun. Um, one of the guys lives in DC with me. And so we, on the weekends, he biked with me yesterday we swim together most mornings. Um, so kind of having that group and knowing everyone's going through the struggle together, keeping each other accountable has been, um, has made it such a better process. Yeah, no, accountability is definitely something that's extremely important. Um, I think it really motivates you to get whatever you're supposed to get done, done, um, which is a really good thing. Um, so you, you said the Garmin is, is what you use when you're doing workouts. Have you are there any other types of technology that you've kind of implemented into your training and that you find helpful? Yeah, I use um, the, I have like the subscription to Zwift. It's a, um, on my computer, it attaches to the um, speed sensor on the bike I use for like the indoor trainer. And it um, has like all these workouts built into it. When you start using it, it looks like pretty much like a video game. So you see like there's other people on it as well. And so it kind of, kind of takes that monotony out of just biking in my room the whole time. Um, that's been huge, kind of the seeing. Because, I mean, I don't have much experience biking and what kind of workouts you do for that. And so having access to all those resources and, and uh, pre-made workouts has been great as well. Um, so you said you said uh, sometimes you just do like three hour bike rides. Like I'm just I'm curious, like how do you not get bored? Like if you're just like while you're biking for like three hours straight. So honestly, I haven't done a full three-hour bike yet. Um, it's tough. I mean, I've started either – I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, 
I will find a new, it's, I, w- I wish I could read more, but it's tough to like read while biking. Maybe I'll start listening to audiobooks more, but uh, I start watching like Yellowstone, the show, um, during bike rides. Um, I mean, when you're biking outside, it's a lot easier to go far when you're just doing it in the room. It does get very boring, honestly. Um, and so I say those long bike rides for when I'm actually outside doing that because it's pretty enjoyable. I mean, yesterday we did like two and a half hours on the bike, but I mean, it goes by pretty quickly when you're outside. It's a nice day out. That definitely helps. Um, but yeah, a lot of podcasts. And that's been one of the things I was talking about is kind of that mental toughness with just kind of, it does get boring, but you just got to keep going and, um, and push through that. Um, okay. So your ability to balance, like you said, um, all these you're studying, you had a test that you had to take recently, um, studying for that, your job, um, training, um, obviously like you have some great, great habits, uh, that allow you to balance and manage these things. Um, can you touch on some of those habits that you, that you utilize, uh, every day that kind of help you be successful in this? Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned in college with the whole writing things down, I still do that. Um, I use a planner. I try to at the beginning of each week, write out kind of days, like I was saying, want to get a workout in any big work events that week. Um, so really staying organized like that. Um, and habits wise, I think physical fitness is extremely important, um, clearly. And so being dedicated to getting a workout in, um, it helps so much with kind of clearing your mind. It's great for like, we were talking about the burnout with work is kind of resetting for instance, like it's been a long work day getting a workout in, you feel mentally refreshed afterwards, you're ready to sit back down and do a couple more hours of work or just something productive, whether it may be. So I'd say that's kind of one of the big habits. Um, and then honestly, kind of this Ironman is teaching me is waking up early is a really great habit. You can get so much more done and be productive in your day, having some time in the morning to kind of breathe and have some alone time before the workday starts. Um, that's why I, I've gotten the habit. I do a swimming probably three mornings a week. And that involves, I usually wake up at 5.45, get to the pool around 6-ish, um, get done swimming by 7, and then it's really nice to go grab a coffee, have 30 minutes to eat, and just kind of regroup before the uh, workday starts. It's been, um, has been a really great habit that I hope I can kind of keep going in some sort of fashion. Well, it might not be swimming every morning after the Ironman's done, but, uh, but it's just something getting up is uh, key to starting the day off right. So one thing I'm interested in is kind of the nutrition aspect of like training. I feel like lots of people um, when they're training for anything, just sports in general, they put a huge emphasis on the actual training um, instead of like the nutrition, the other things, the sleep that go into it. Um, have you changed kind of your lifestyle when it comes to nutrition or sleep in those aspects of the training at all? Yeah, um, a ton. I would say prior to starting Ironman training, my I've always been very good nutrition-wise. I'd say growing up, my parents, that was something they were very strict with as well, um, forcing us to eat fish a couple nights a week, a lot of protein, um, stayed away from a lot of the snack foods as much as we could. Uh, so from a young age, I was kind of, I've always been focused on nutrition. Um, but I mean, I probably wasn't in great habits nutrition-wise starting off the work world after graduating. I didn't really eat breakfast very much. Um, 
I mean, I cooked a lot, but I wasn't kind of thinking, just I wasn't training for something. That wasn't like my end goal. It was kind of just eating, but I felt like eating, skipping meals. Um, but now I've, there's kind of, I've had that, like you're saying, renewed emphasis on how important that nutrition is because I was realizing quickly that if I didn't eat breakfast, had a little lunch and I tried to work out and do a long hour plus run later in the day, like your body just like physically can't do it. It just feels like you're just running on nothing. And so I've been very dedicated with eating a breakfast now. Um, eating a lot more carbs compared to I was prior. Um, when I was just lifting, I didn't eat too many carbs. Um, but now I eat a lot more carbs because it helps so much with this distance and um, it's your body's fuel. It needs it. So yeah, a lot of carbs around lunchtime and then dinner, vegetable heavy and a lot of protein. Yeah. So have you noticed any changes specifically with like weight or any of that stuff? I know I've talked to, uh, some other people who have done their first Ironman or just are very into triathlons and these distance events. And they talk about how weight loss is such a huge thing and you just have to eat like so much just to keep your weight up. Um, have you noticed any changes with your, with your weight and how have you kind of I've been pretty good. I mean, I'm, I was a pretty slim person before this. Um, I've lost, I think probably five pounds as of now, but, um, yeah, I mean, like I was saying, nutrition being kind of so important throughout my whole life, I knew as soon as I started this um, that I needed to eat a lot more calories. Um, so I've been pretty good about not, I've not been, um, that's not been too much of an issue for me. Okay. But on the other hand, well, like one guy I'm training with, uh, Drew, he's was a big football player. He was like 225 in college probably. And he's down to like almost under 200 right now. Um, yeah. So for him, but I mean, he need, I mean, just body type wise, um, to be successful in this, it's what he's needed to do. I mean, it's tough to run, bike and swim for six hours when you weigh 225, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so like, it's interesting to see that his progression compared to mine, um, just different body types as, um, yeah, it's definitely for him. It's been more of an issue than for me. No, I definitely, that's, he's definitely noticed some crazy changes then. Cause I know even for myself, um, when I had cut down for the summer, I just noticed I had so much more energy. It was just easier to do those kind of distance events and like running just became easier um, mm-hmm. when you lose that weight. So I definitely think it's just, it can have a huge impact on kind of all aspects of your life. Yeah. I'd say the other big thing I've kind of learned through this training is um, learning a lot more about being conscientious, conscientious of your heart rate. Um, that was one thing I never took into account in training for football and lacrosse. Um, but now it's like, you realize how important that is. Um, and cause it also translate and translates into just life in general is like you perform so much better when your heart rates at like a lower level. And as soon as you start getting into that high, like on the garment, there's like five categories. When you get into that, that, that fit, the highest, um, heart rate zone, you wear out so quickly. You just can't go. Um, but learning breathing techniques and um, staying relaxed. And for me with running, when I start thinking about the finish line, and that's why I think about to run, my heart rate spikes, and then I die so quickly. Um, so it's learning to kind of stay calm and just be in the moment during that run and not thinking about that end goal and just kind of thinking about where you are because that's that was always the issue for me is I start thinking about that finish line, I start running quicker, and then heart rate spikes, and I die. Um, so that's been a big mental change for me is kind of learning some of these breathing techniques to keep your heart rate low 
and kind of stay in the moment during these workouts um, has helped a ton. Yeah, that's one of the biggest aspects of training that I'm actually very, very excited to see what it's like, um, even just running in high school. Um, there's almost no emphasis on heart rate whatsoever, um, even some of the top guys on the team. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that using the heart rate, monitoring it kind of affects my training and if I see mm -hmm. the effects of it. So, yeah, that's really cool to hear. Now looking, we've talked about kind of what you're doing now. Um, and you've said that you're very excited uh, in your first year as, working as an investment banker. Um, but looking towards your future, what are some goals that you have um, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, or even 20 years uh, down the road for yourself? Um, I've, so I would say my end goal, um, whether it be in 10 years, 20 years, I, my goal is to start my own company, um, which is why I'm really enjoying my investment banking role right now is because I'm seeing so many different types of companies meeting so many of these founders of these companies, hearing their stories. Um, and kind of it's, I don't know exactly what my true passion in, in life is at this point, what field I want to be in. Um, so I'm just really grateful right now to be in a position where I'm learning so many skills and, and a really great job and meeting so many smart people. Um, it's kind of helping me. I feel like it's setting me up in a position where when I want whatever that may be, take a, take that risk and start something on my own. Um, I'm learning so much right now. That's going to help me down the road with that. Um, but as far as five, 10 years, I really don't know. Um, I started to consider, I would love to go back and get an MBA if I can, maybe in a couple of years is one option. Um, I know a lot of guys in investment banking, it's pretty common to go to private equity. That might come up in a couple of years. Um, or, I mean, KPMG is an awesome company. So I could see myself staying here and um, working with KPMG for a long time as well. So it's really, I just, it's, it's going to be just kind of seeing how things play out. Um, like I was saying, I don't have that end goal quite in mind right now, but um, it's kind of, in that point, I'm just kind of trusting the process and uh, being grateful to spot a man and just kind of seeing where things go. So hearing that you you want to start your own company in the future, um, I know that can be something that almost like anyone dreams of, like, oh, I want to start my own company. Definitely something I want to be able to control kind of my time, control how the company works. Um, and I I'm definitely go along the same boat. I want to, One of my big dreams is to start my own company in the future. Um, it's something I kind of work towards every day. But uh, what was the kind of reasoning behind, like, why do you want to start your own company? Do you have a specific change you want to make? What is what is it that makes you want to kind of pursue that in the future? Um, one, kind of being in control of my own destiny. Um, so I really like being your own boss is definitely a dream of mine. Um, but I mean, it kind of goes back to kind of starting something from the ground up and and doing that whole process um, is something I would love to be able to do. Um, you know, like I said, it's kind of just a goal right now. I don't have an idea exactly of what field I want to be in um, or what, but it's kind of being able to kind of be in control, implement that strategy from start to finish uh, instead of just working on just the finance. Like, I mean, I love my job. I love working, but I mean, we're pretty much all finance related, related to these companies. I would love to get to a point where, you're working on strategy. You have to help. You have to come up with a marketing strategy. You're working on product development if you're in that sort of field. Um, so, kind of having control of all aspects of the company and um, having skin in the game where it's on you to 
to grow this thing. Um, that's what really excites me and uh, drives me to want to do that. No, that's great. Um, so finishing up here, one of the things that I like to learn from any successful individual, um, and I think it's the, the most important thing when you're kind of taking on any challenge or you're working for something is having a strong why. So I know you said you're not really sure, like in the future, you don't have all that stuff set in place, but do you have any why or when you wake up in the morning, what is your why for uh, kind of getting things done and doing what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so let's say with this job, the why I've learned more is like is helping other people and um, helping these people realize their dreams with the investment banking. That's become more of a why than I thought would be in my life. Um, and then number two, which is kind of how I'm, how I'm wired to is wake up every day and grind and it, I'm ultra competitive. I, um, it's like scares me is one of my biggest fears is like kind of being average. I know it's kind of cliche, but, um, is I need to be the best in whatever I'm doing. So it's kind of how I'm wired. So it just kind of motivates me every morning to get up and push myself and, um, not be complacent where I am. Um, like it's funny. I know you guys, invited me on this podcast and you say like, Oh, you're in a position. I recognize I'm, I'm very grateful for my position, but it's like, I see myself as like, I have such a long way to go. I don't consider myself as being super successful yet. Um, and so it's kind of that is just kind of how I am. It's just like never being complacent with the position you're in. And, um, there's always more, I can always be more successful. Um, and I have a long way to go. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful you guys brought me on and, uh, think of me as being successful. But I think of myself as like just getting started. Have um, It's like just the very start of my career. I'm the low man on the totem pole. Um, and that's what kind of gets me out of bed every morning. That's my why is, is, to, um, is to get to the top. Got it. All right. Well, um, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, we're really thankful and happy that we had to have you, that we got to have you as our first guest on here. Um, thanks for sharing all of your experiences. Um, and for our listeners out there, we hope you found as much value as we have from listening to Garrett and learning from his experiences. Please stay tuned for the next episode and feel free to check us out at expedition.success on Instagram. If you have any questions, recommendations, or even would like to be on the podcast, feel free to reach us, reach out to us on Instagram or through our email at expedition.success.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.